Hello. Hi. I don't know what happened there. I must have just dropped dropped my connection. Yeah. I was quite happily chatting away to myself then. <laughs> well, we could start over because I was like, what happened? <laughs> <laughs> Where'd she go? Oh, dear. Okay. Shall I uh, go yeah. back to the beginning? Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, so my Japanese journey um, started from when I went to a Japanese language um, lesson as part of a TEFL qualification. So teaching English as a foreign language was what I originally went to do this course. And she had given us all a form to fill in in the beginning to say what languages we had a history of. And I had had six years of French, but I had not had a very good experience with my French learning um, lessons. Um, I'd had a lot of trouble with the female, the masculine, feminine elements of the French language, the to, vu, you know, the politeness. Elements. It was the, it, it just, I couldn't wrap my, my brain around <laughs> how French worked. Um, so I'd written, you know, on this form before the TEFL course just to say our oh, French but I really can't speak French um, so we went to this TEFL course and the teacher said okay in order to teach English you are going to be you are going to need to have the skills to teach people English in English you know you're not going to have all the different languages of all the different countries that you'll you'll go to teach English so therefore I'm going to show you how to teach the language in the language and only using that language so we thought, oh, this sounds fun. Um, so the first thing that she did was tell us that she'd looked at all our forms and there was a language that none of us knew and she was going to use that language. Now, I don't actually know how many languages she knew, but she proceeded to teach us for 30 minutes in Japanese. Now, when she first said Japanese, I knew nothing of Japan. I knew nothing of the Japanese language. I was about 20 years old I think at university um, and I just thought wow okay this is going to be tough if I can't do French which is just the country next door to me you know I'm in the UK how on earth am I going to manage Japanese but I thought okay we'll see what she does so she used a lot of body language a lot of facial expressions and a lot of drawing pictures on the board but she also used um a lot of gestures and she would pass sentences, questions and responses around the room. So I think there was about 10 of us, maybe 15 at most in the, in the class. Um, and so she would start off and say, Hajimemashite, which is, I meet you for the first time, or it's nice to meet you in Japanese. And so she would say, Hajimemashite to all of us. And then she, she would say, I can't actually remember her name, but let's say her name was Kate, she would say, Watashi wa Kate desu. Hajimemashite, Watashi wa Kate desu. And then she would gesture to the next person in the room. Hajimemashite. And that person would then say, Hajimemashite. And then she gestured for that person to turn to the person next to them and say, Hajimemashite. And so it went round the room. Everybody said hajimemashite to each other. 
The next thing that she did was she would then say watashi wa and she touched her chest. Watashi wa Kate des. Now we already knew that her name was Kate. So we were able to kind of figure out, okay, so she's saying my name is Kate. Um, and she gestured to the next person. Watashi wa Kate des. Anata wa? With a question, you know, like an inflection at the end. Right. So it sounds like a question. Mm -hmm. So that next person then would realize, oh, right, okay, I need to introduce myself. And they would start, they started to say, were, and she said, watashi wa Kate des. So they said, watashi wa Philip des. Let's imagine his name was Philip. And then she gestured for us to talk to the person next to us. And as it, that's how she did it for 30 minutes, moving around the room, getting us to repeat after her, repeat to the next person, listen to the answer, and then repeat the, the answers back. Um, and it was amazing. It was just, no, there was no textbooks. It was purely, let's start speaking. And by the end of that lesson, I could introduce myself in Japanese. Um, she also was very much about using your own way to remember. So we went through numbers. Um, and for numbers in Japanese, the first number, number one, do you happen to know what the first number is? In no. Hello? The same person. Hello. Hello, how are you doing? I'm good. Thank you for coming. Thank you for inviting me. I really enjoyed your talk during Women in Language, and I was like, I need to invite her on. So more about her. I because I'm learning as I'm going as far as like who's out there in the language learning community. I mean, mm -hmm. there's so many people. It's like. There are so many people. <laughs> it's crazy. Okay. Usually I, um, I just usually have the, the guests um, tell s something about themselves, like how they got mm -hmm. started with their languages. Um, okay. So you can start at any time. 
Great. Okay, well, um, my language journey began, I always say, by accident. Um, I had gone to a teaching English as a foreign language training course for a weekend, and the teacher decided to show us how to teach Hey. Hi. So I was using my mobile data, but I've now switched to my Wi-Fi to see if that's any better. It's, it's usually oh. the other way around. But okay, we were. Okay. At, you asked me that I know what the number one was. And yes. Um, in yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So you don't. That's, that's great. You already know what no is in Japanese. <laughs> um, yeah. So number one is itchy, and um, itchy was was communicated to us by her scratching. You know, itching. Mm -hmm. She was mm -hmm. like, oh, itchy, itchy, and she was scratching on her hand. Mm -hmm. um, and so we all started to kind of, you know, you, if you see somebody scratching themselves. You, you kind of start to do the same thing. Right. So I don't, I don't know if, as you're listening to this, you're kind of scratching yourself, thinking, ah, itchy. Right. Itchy. But that's how I teach people to remember itchy. Um, and then she would say, and then, and then, sorry, she, she then stopped scratching her hand, and she started to scratch her knee. And then she gave us the number two. She gave us two fingers up and said, knee, itchy. And so then we we're all sitting there scratching our knee, um, and that's the first two numbers we got in Japanese. Oh wow! Yeah, so you're already getting this physical response to numbers, um, and she's still not used any English with us. It was just amazing. So then the next thing she did was she said "san," "san." Now, for me, that kind of sounded like the boy's name, Sam, but it was also a little bit like "sun." Um, so she kind of, she, she drew a picture on the board of, you know, like a, a sunshine. Mm -hmm. um, but then she, she cupped her ear and she said, San, San, and put three fingers up to show it was number three. Mm -hmm. So it was all, you know, body language, so much body language going on and repetition. And so we all would start then by going, Ichi ni San, um, and she would point, you know, she lifted up one finger and we would say itchy. She put up her second finger, we'd say knee. And then she would put up her third finger and we would say Sam. And she just kept on getting us to repeat these things. The next one that she did was she, which is her fourth finger went up, she. And she gestured to an, one of the females in the room, she. And then she went back to one again. So she starts scratching on her knee. We we're like, itchy, knee, san, she. And then it was all just going around the room. It was amazing. Then she went to number five. She gave us five fingers. And she pointed out the room and said, go. <laughs> to which I think I remember one of us kind of getting up to go. But she was like, shook her hand to say, no, 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 you don't have to go anywhere. But showed us five fingers and then just said, pointed and said, go. Again, showed us five fingers, go. 
And then she had us go back to one. She started scratching on her knee. So we're like itchy. She put up two fingers, knee, Sam, the picture on the board again. She pointing to the lady who was sitting nearby and then pointed out the door, go. So then we got to five straight away. Then this continued, you know, all the way up to 10. And the mm. amazing thing about Japanese is that it's ichi ni san shi go. And then doku is six. You've got two words for nana. Uh, sorry, two words for seven. One of them is nana. Um, hachi ku ju. So we went all the way up to 10. And the amazing thing about Japanese is that it then goes 10 1 for 11, 10 2 for 12, 10 3 for 13. And so it goes up to 20, which is then 2 10. So using that pattern, only knowing one to 10, you actually could talk, could say the numbers up to 99. I left that class thinking that this was the most amazing language ever. From having that history of French where you actually had to do multiplication tables when you do French numbers, <laughs> as well as the female and male elements. For me, this was like, wow, this is an amazingly easy language. Um, but I didn't have enough time on my hands to say time to study, um, in inverted commas, because I was doing my degree, um, and I, I wasn't doing a degree in language. I was doing a degree in English teaching and I had, you know, enough to do with that. So I put Japanese on the back burner, but Japanese kept appearing everywhere. My university had a, a lang another school, a, a Japanese school um, exchange program. There was a small college called Shoei College at my university. And so there were Japanese students walking around campus all the time. One of the students from there happened to move next door to my apartment in student halls of residence. And one day she came knocking on my door because her key wasn't working properly. So I helped her with a key and then, you know, just started a conversation with her. Where are you from? What are you studying? And she told me she was from Japan. So I thought, well, you know, I learned this introductory Japanese, so I'm going to try it out. So I said to her, ah, oh, hajimemashite, jestes. And she went crazy. She was like, oh, my goodness, you speak Japanese. Oh, that's so exciting. Oh. And, of course, I was like, whoa, whoa, no, that's all I know. That's all I know. And she said, oh, really? Nothing else? And, and I said, oh, I know ichini, sanshi, go, rokushichi, hachi, kyuju. And she was like, oh, you know so much Japanese. I was like, no, no, I don't really. I don't. That's all I know. <laughs> so then, of course, she wanted to teach me more. Um, and then she wanted to introduce me to her friends and they wanted to teach me more Japanese. And I ended up with this little group of friends who live next door. Um, oh, oh you're still here. You're still here. that's my phone. I think it's because my phone goes off. Um, I need to keep touching the screen so it doesn't go to sleep. So, um, so then I had this Japanese girl that was friends with me and she lived next door. And every time I saw her, we'd say hello to each other in Japanese. She was very encouraging, super encouraging. Um, but again, I didn't have time for Japanese. I had my degree to work on. You know, it wasn't a priority. 
the next thing that happened was that I needed a job. So I found a job at a Chinese restaurant and was working behind the bar there. Now, all the waitresses were Chinese, or so I thought. It turned out that one of them was actually from Japan. And she didn't speak to the others. And that's how I knew that she wasn't Chinese, as she, she didn't really go and talk to them. And one day she came over to the bar to get an order. And while I was making up the drink, I kind of said to her, you know, I noticed you don't really chat to the others. And she said, oh, I don't know what they're saying. They speak Chinese and I'm from Japan. I was like, oh, oh, hajime mashite. Watashi no namai wa And she was like, oh my goodness, you speak Japanese. So the same reaction I got from my next door neighbor. I was like, no, 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 no. That's all I can say. That's it. She's like, oh, let me teach you more. And there was so much encouragement. There was so much sharing of the language. Right. Again, from the experience I'd had with French, where everything I tried to say in French was criticized. Now, I'm coming, I'm coming to this with I currently have a boyfriend who is French. Like, it's come full circle. My boyfriend is French. Um, but they're very, you know, I've, he's very proud of the way that his language is spoken. And when I have retried to kindle my, my French practice, what he comments on is, there's no encouragement. It goes back to, no, you said that wrong, you know? Um, and I guess I'm just a very sensitive person and I want to be encouraged. So um, I definitely felt more encouragement to, to practice with the Japanese language than I, when I, than I still do with French, to be honest. Um, one day I will be brave and, and try to continue with my French. But for now, I'm happy being encouraged, encouraged in Japanese. Um, so now I had a next door neighbor who spoke Japanese and I was working at a restaurant where I was ended up speaking Japanese. And the final thing that happened that made me think, okay, so I'm supposed to have the Japanese language in my life was I bumped into an old school friend at university. She was there working for a company that was doing presentations about teaching English abroad. So I, I bumped into her and she said, oh, what are you doing at lunchtime? And I said, oh, not much. And she said, I'm doing a presentation. Will you come and support me? So I was like, yeah, okay. So I went to her presentation and it was all about teaching English in Japan. And at that point I thought, okay, I give up. Japan is obviously trying to get into my life. The Japanese language is trying to infiltrate my brain. Mm -hmm. It looks like I'm going to Japan when I finish my degree. All right. So um, the presentation that she was doing was for the JET program, which is a Japan exchange and teaching program, which the Japanese government runs um, and sponsors people from around the world to go to Japan and teach mainly English, but other countries are now able to go and teach their language as well. So the JET program was basically my way into Japan. Um, I applied for it and I got on the program and then I went I meant to go for one year, but I ended up staying in Japan for nearly five years. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> that place kind of hooks you in. Kind of hooks you in. I know I would probably be like completely culture shocked just because I, I love Japanese food and cinema mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. and, and the culture and oh yeah <laughs> it's it's it really hooks you it's such a beautiful country the people are just so wonderful um 
And again, the encouragement is off the scale. Anytime you try to speak any Japanese, they're just so supportive of it. It's, it's fantastic. Yeah, I know that I, I, I plan on learning Japanese next year along with Egyptian Arabic. And wow. one of my favorite words in Japanese is tokidoki. Ah, tokidoki ne. Tokidoki. I mean, because it reminds me of okidoki. <laughs> okidoki. Yeah, exactly. Right. Okidoki. Yeah. yeah. And then, like, when, when they, when, um, I, I mean, I know some Japanese. Like, I mm-hmm. can, you know, I can say some stuff in Japanese. Um, hi, sushio, tabimasu. Yeah, you know, um, hi, ice cream, tabimas, um, yeah, namimas. Well, that's the other beautiful thing about Japanese is that because the the words that have been brought in from outside Japan right. have been their what's called katakana, right? English words, uh, other words as well, not just English. I should point out as well any right. borrowed words like for example bread in japan is pam okay which is the same in portuguese french i'm okay. not sure about other languages but several other languages because yeah. the portuguese were the first people to bring bread to japan and so therefore they'd never seen bread before and so they just used pam the, the word that it was named the first time they saw it right so you've got pan in japan you've got um teburu any idea what that is teburu um um, it almost sounds like table yes that's exactly what it is okay teburu is table because they didn't have what we would call the table the you know this is a specific type of table um, that was brought in from the Western world. So, teburu is table. Biru, biru. Any ideas? Uh, You did actually say it. Yeah, exactly. Came from outside, therefore the Japanese adopted the same name, but Japanized it to make it biru. You know, I wanted to ask you that because I, I'm Asian languages now. Mm-hmm. And like right now, I'm studying Cantonese and Thai. Wow. And, and, and it's kind of funny because my whole goal is I just want to speak. It's yeah. not so much about writing it or, you know, I mean, because I can learn Cantonese Braille. I can learn Thai Braille, Japanese Braille. Mm-hmm. Yet it's like I want to talk to people. Yeah. You know? And I mean, I'm, I studied movies and theater in college, so that's my background in TEFL and um, English as a foreign language to business people and young learners. However, yeah. my big thing is I live in Akron. We have a large Asian population. You know, you're either from Vietnam, Taiwan, oh, you know, Hong Kong, Japan. And I've always liked, you know, Japanese food and, and yeah. And, my whole goal is, okay, let me get past A1. Let me at least go and order some food at a restaurant to test my Japanese out or my Thai or whatever. And, I mean, I did that. When I used the Mango app to uh, learn the first A1 level of Cantonese, and it took me six weeks. And okay. I, 
and I went and I picked up the phone and I called a Chinese restaurant and I started speaking Cantonese and the person spoke Mandarin and I understood what they said even though I don't speak Mandarin and they were so happy to know that I was learning Chinese at all yeah 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 this is a big deal yeah there's so much excitement around it it's it's brilliant yeah, I and I and I noticed that like it's it's a lot different if you are learning Arabic or Russian or any of the Asian languages or Somali or Hindi or Swahili, any of those languages people go. But then yeah. when you start trying to speak Spanish and you're starting to speak French, I haven't found that with Italian, but I have found it with French. Well, more so Spanish. Hmm. people have a problem they think that they own the language and I'm like no one owns anything really you know I mean it's a tool to communicate it's not yeah yeah I mean I'm I'm big on culture so it's like if I'm gonna learn a language to speak it I want to know about the history I want to know about the cinema the fashion the food because those are the types of things that I'm interested in yeah and and with your interest with the language you have to right because my whole goal is i want to watch like the grudge in japanese and the ring in japanese and the audition in japanese and and you know i want to watch japanese horror movies that was another reason why i wanted to learn japanese and given the fact that i'm visually impaired i uh, now that i'm starting to learn languages i Mm -hmm. can have voiceover read me the subtitles in those languages or i can watch it with English subtitles first, get the, the gist of the the movie, and then go yeah. back, turn them off, and then listen to it, you know, because I, I know what's going on, because yeah. I already watched it one time in English. And, I mean, while subsequently learning it at the same time. So... Yeah, brilliant. Um, I, I mean, for me personally, it's like, everyone's like, Japanese is hard, you gotta know the kanjikana, and the hiragana, and the kanji, and there's like three alphabets and and I'm like, okay, are you planning on writing it? Are you planning on reading? I mean, are you planning on reading? Exactly. Um, you've got to you've got to know why you want to learn the language. And a lot of people just think, oh, you know, Japanese is cool. Let's just try it. And then they get completely discouraged when they realize there's three alphabets. When actually the speaking element of Japanese is is quite re- is really regular. You know, right. there's three. There's three tenses. Right, present, Which, past, and future. Yeah, it's it's just so much easier than. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't have a, a whole range of languages I've tried. I've I've only actually tried French and Japanese, but it's so much easier than French. <laughs> so much. You know, easier. you know, it's so funny that you say that because my first foreign language to date, which was my third language, was. Spanish and I was good at the grammar but I sucked at vocabulary and I didn't have enough exposure to where right. I could speak it like all the time but mm. I liked the music and the food and dancing part of it yeah yeah so that was the part I stuck with and one day I just started speaking to somebody like random for two hours yeah well let me tell you I had a headache the size of like Mount Everest and it took two hours for it to come down yeah. And as soon as I hung up from the person in Mexico, somebody in Colombia called me, Chanel, you want to speak? <laughs> One oh. And I said, I can't right now. I have a headache. And I was like, oh, my God, what happened? And I told him, I was like, oh, my God, I'll talk to you tomorrow. <laughs> but, 
I mean, and, and I didn't know I was fluent in, in Spanish until I was talking to someone from Colombia, and they were like, do you know you're fluent? I was like, I thought I sucked. Um, because oh. that's all I got. That's all I got was negative, negative, right. negative. And I said, well, what do you expect? If someone's not giving you positive reinforcement about what it is that you're trying to do, you're trying to learn their language because you want to communicate with them. You don't yeah. want to feel like, you know, you suck. And yeah. so, I mean, and that does have negative, you know, connotative results for a person psychologically mm. because, you know, you just want to speak something other than English. And, yeah. and, and I, I mean, I didn't want to take it, but I didn't have a choice because that was the only language that was offered at the school that I was going to at the time. So I had to take it for a foreign, you know, for a foreign language requirement for my degree. But I'm glad I did because when I look back on it, you know, my 23 year old self and I'm going to be 42, it's a lot, I'm a lot more mature now to say, oh, well, okay, that was a learning experience. That was my first foreign language. You know, I did good. I mean, I, I got like all B's in my, my classes, but awesome. I just wish there was more, less speak from day one instead of less yeah. worry about grammar tables. And I mean, because that's no way to learn anything. Well, I always say, right, when we were, when we were in our parents, in our mom's bellies, right, mm-hmm. we were listening. We were listening to the outside world. We were hearing the language we were going to be born into. Then we're born and we're hearing that language all the time, right? Our ears are developing and we are hearing what we're going to be speaking further down. Then we start to mimic what we hear. We make those goo-goos, those gargars, you know, we try to communicate what we want to say. Only after we've been listening for ages, we've been starting to try to speak, do we then see a book are we given a pen to start writing stuff right Right. it's in that order listening then we're speaking then we're kind of reading ish you know people are pointing to the words as we're like babies learning as they're saying and then we're maybe trying to scroll on the piece of paper and copy things that people have told us has a certain sound why when we start to learn a language do people give us a textbook first that's not how we naturally pick up a language. Why are we being given a textbook to read first? We should be listening first. Right. Then we should be trying to repeat what we hear. Then, you know, then reading and writing. You know, it's funny you say that because I, I had the same conversation with a lot of different polyglots that I've interviewed so far. Mm. And I mean, you know, everyone has their take on it, yeah. you know, how they're going to go about it. I mean, everyone mutually agrees that, you know, you need to be able to, some people say you need to speak. Some people say you need to read. Some people say you need to listen. And I said, well, because I'm an auditory learner and I, I was visual, auditory and tactile. Now I'm auditory and tactile. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I said, listening is very important. Because if you, if you cannot understand what normal speech is, you know, everyone's recommending you should do slow languages. No, you should not. You should do language at the speed that is spoken. Yeah. Because if you cannot understand natural speed, 
when you start listening to slow speed, that's what your brain is going to process. So then when you start trying to listen to somebody that speaks at a natural speed, you're going to be all confused. Mm-hmm. And so I said, I taught myself Russian. Okay, my Russian grammar is not the greatest, but I can speak about politics. I could speak about a lot of different things that interest me personally. I can mm-hmm. listen to Putin and understand what he's saying. And I mean, I literally spent a year speaking for a year and listening for an entire year and a half. Yeah. And from sunup to sundown, from 6 a.m. to midnight. I, I had it playing in the background. Mm. And I mean, I had everything. New, um, news, press conferences, podcasts, some music, movies, you know, TV shows. And TV shows were the best because you got real people speaking the language, giving their opinion about what was going on in the U S and, you know, you start to understand at 10 30 at night, your brain starts clicking like, Oh yeah. Get it now. That's the toughest time as well. When your brain's tired, when it's last thing in the day and you're still managing to pick it up. It's yeah. Brilliant. And and I, I tell people all the time, I was like, I do a lot of listening. I was like, you don't need to, to learn a language with your eyeballs. 24 7 you were trained to do that mm-hmm. you know if you go back to the beginning and remember how you learned it before you went to school it'll start yeah. clicking but because you're conditioned to believe that this is the only way mm-hmm. you know i mean uh well i i've i've seen in the language learning community people either go by the steve kaufman model which is complete uh, comprehensible input audio and text and then speaking or Benny Lewis speak for day one even if it's Tarzan and I said I don't want to speak Tarzan I want to speak real (laughs) right right and I I, I, yes you're going to make mistakes but that's good to do yeah because that's your learning because people say you know when you you have like a language parent right you'll speak to somebody and they usually say what you've just said but they say it in the correct way right as long as you're listening to the person you're speaking to because that's the problem we have right now right is we can Mm -hmm. often just want to talk we just want to talk about ourselves and we forget to listen to the other person but if you actually listen to them then they Mm -hmm. they're going to correct you indirectly now, I do say that when you're having like a language exchange with someone from another country and you have an hour to work with mm. and half of the time is in the target language and the other half is in English, I would do the English first and then do the target language second because that way you get that person out the way. But it doesn't always pan out that way because they want to speak English like 90% of the hour yeah. and then leave you with very little time. Or you could be speaking and they want to correct you. And I was like, wait a minute. Even in English, English speakers make mistakes when they're speaking. No Mm -hmm. one speaks perfectly. And don't assume that when you have someone that's studying your language, that they need to be perfect in your language. And I've seen this a lot. And Mm -hmm. I've seen how it's demotivated people's self-esteem about learning whatever language it is because of that. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. And I said, you're not, we don't do that to you guys. Why do you think that you own the language because you're a native speaker? (laughs) Oh, it's so, yeah, it's so demotivating when things like that happen. 
see where I where I differ with the exchange um, is I I we don't do exchange in okay. my my group. Um, okay. I'm very strict about that because I saw that happening where you know it was just English just ended up being the default language that everyone right. just went to. So I'm very strict. Um, I have my group online and I have my group here in Scotland. Mm-hmm. And when we meet, as soon as you walk through the door, as soon as you get into the room online, it's Japanese only. Oh, that's awesome. See, I like that method because even when I'm speaking to myself, I try mm-hmm. not to use English at all. And I've gotten so good at it that I can stick my head inside of whatever language I'm speaking at the time and keep my head in that language the entire time I'm speaking to whoever I'm speaking to. Do you know, it's really funny with our, with our Edinburgh group because um, I even, I'll, I'll meet them for lunch sometimes, different members from the group. And as soon as we meet up, even though it's not in the group environment, mm-hmm. we just start from Japanese, you know, I'll just, cross the road, meet him outside his work. Um, this is one particular person that I, I speak to and meet for lunch, Angelo. So Italian guy, loves Japanese everything. Um, and as soon as we meet up, we'll be like, hey, konnichiwa, genki, genki. Ja, nani o tabitai? Ja, doko ni kokona. You know, just straight away, even though we're not in the club environment. But it's because people have got used to it, even if they've, when they met me the first time, it was at the club, and I only spoke to them in Japanese. It, you know, awesome. it, it clicks in their brain, and they're like, all oh, right, Jess speaks Japanese. You know, it's it, it just something that we do. And it was quite funny because we have um, a lot of Japanese native speakers come along to the group, and um, I wanted to encourage more to come. So I actually said, right, we're going to do an English club, from an hour before. So if the Japanese teachers, the native speakers want to come and practice their English, then they can come, but it's the hour before, right? And what happened was that I would get there an hour early and some of the other learners decided they would go and help as well. But as soon as they walked through the door in the cafe in which we meet, they said to me, Komawa. <laughs> And I was like, whoa, this is English time. It's English only right now. And they're like, oh, I'm so used to speaking to you in Japanese. You know, it was just, it was brilliant. It was so funny to see that happen. These people just automatic default was actually Japanese because of the experience that they'd had coming to that group in that cafe. Now, I'm just curious, like, what what made you want to create your your program? Well... Well, I came back for, I, I left Japan in 2005 um, and I had been training to be a professional taiko drummer, which is Japanese drumming. Um, and I decided to go back to the UK and I looked for taiko groups in the UK and then I found one in Scotland and auditioned and got in. Now, there was nobody else at that taiko group except for one of the leaders who's half Japanese. Nobody else spoke Japanese. And I had, I had thought that there would be a lot more Japanese. You know, I was worried about losing the language, having been in Japan and become, you know, fluent in conversation. Um, mm-hmm. I thought, I don't want to lose that. Mm-hmm. So I joined the Taiko group. Only one person understood Japanese. 
And so I spoke to her whenever I could in Japanese, but most of the time she just wanted to talk in English because everyone else was standing around us. And it was frustrating. So I then found a Jap some Japanese lessons and I was going to these classes two or three times a week. So I was spending a lot of money going to these lessons. But what again was happening is that I would get to the lesson, I would chat to the teacher in Japanese, and then we would go into the, the lesson content. And most of it was textbooks. It was, they were talking about the grammar in English. There was very little actually practicing the language, practicing conversation. And I got so frustrated. Um, so I, I turned up to the lessons early and I would be the last person to leave because I wanted to chat in Japanese with the teacher or with other people. And in the end, I, I just said to the other people in the class, hey, why don't we meet halfway through the week and do our homework together, right? Because we always got homework. I put it into my bag and I never actually did it um, <laughs> because I wasn't driven to, to do some written work. I was driven to speak. Right. Um, so I, I said to them, Look, well, I don't do my homework. Do you do your homework? And most people were like, no, I, I always forget to do it. I'm like, right, let's meet halfway through the week and we will do our homework together. So we met up in a Starbucks coffee shop and we'd sit down and they'd get all their books out and they'd start writing away, doing the homework. And I sat there and I was like, no, this is happening again. Why are people just putting their heads down? And we're sitting together. Why not speak to each other in Japanese? So I said, look, let's just chat in Japanese and do our homework together. So they okay, okay. So then we would start practicing what was, what was in the textbook. You know, they, they still needed to have this, this framework um, because I guess, you know, that's, I'd come from Japan, so I'd come from conversational Japanese, whereas they'd, come, they'd been studying Japanese in classes, so that's what they were used to, having a textbook as a structure, and they would practice what was in the textbook, you know. And I had to try and coax conversation out of them. Right. After a while of doing that, um, and I'd made a few Japanese friends in, in the city that I, I live in, in Edinburgh, in Scotland. Um, and I just kind of mentioned to them that I had this, this homework group, if you like. And they said, oh, do you want us to come along? We'll help you. I was like, oh, that'd be amazing. Um, and I said, oh, of course, I'd buy you drinks at the coffee shop while you're there helping us. And they were like, oh, brilliant. We'll get some free drinks. Yeah, we don't be up for that. So then these native speakers came along and then they told their friends and then more native speakers came along and then more learners heard about it. And then we had to move to a different cafe because we ended up being too big this was a tiny little starbucks near a station so we mm -hmm. had to actually move to a bigger one um and they said oh can you make a facebook group so that we know where we are because we ended up moving a couple of times so i put it as an event on facebook and then people just started turning up like random people that we didn't even know who had found us um online um, and it just grew and it grew and there were 30 people coming along every week. Um, and then online, people started to message my Facebook group, mm -hmm. uh, message me directly or message the page that I then created and say, how can we join your group? And I said, well, you just turn up. And they said, oh, but I don't, I'm not coming to Scotland. I'm in like Israel. I'm in Sweden. I'm in America. And I was like, 
okay, um, I don't know. You just have to watch the live streams that we do. And they said, well, can't you do an online conversation version? You know, can you do some kind of thing for us online? So I thought, all right, I'll have a look. Um, and I, I found a way to do it. And then I started doing weekly online conversation clubs. And it grew from there, really. Um, then I, yeah, <laughs> that's how it, it just, it was, I just wanted to have conversations. And that's right. how it began. Now, you're online. Do you charge for that? Yes. Um, it takes me time to set everything up. And I, I have now got a system of emails where I, I email everybody and say it's starting in half an hour. Um, I've also added some other um, kind of courses in the background of the membership because okay. a lot of people were saying, well, I don't, I don't really know how to practice in between. You know, how can I do this? How can I do that? Where can I find native speakers? What are the, where are the good resources? Um, so people were asking me all these questions. So I thought, right, okay, I'm going to make some videos uh, explaining these things that people can watch with worksheets and things. And I put them in the background of the, the membership as well. Um, so it's kind of like a mini course as well. Yeah. Oh, that's totally cool. Yeah, I, Hulu and Netflix are my go-to places along with YouTube, TuneIn Radio. Yeah. Yep. Um, I, I'm using actually Michelle Thomas and I'm also using Japanese Pot 101 as well. Yep. Uh, I, and because since I'm such an audio person, it's like um, it, I do everything by ear and I, I, I try straight away to start speaking. Mm-hmm. Regardless of how many words I know, yeah, But yeah, it's a it, it's a beautiful language. I know right now, um, Ollie Richards is um, he's been studying Japanese for quite some time, and I mean, he studied like ten languages altogether, but eight of them he can speak, mm-hmm. six of them to like B two levels. Um, the other couple are, you know, A1, A2. And he's like, for some reason, Japanese is just, I'm, I'm getting tugged to it more and more. And he's finding stuff to, to, you know, create. And I was like, the problem is when you're trying to find authentic content that uh-huh. interests you, whether it's books or, um, you know, like I'm really big on Harry Potter, but I'm also big yeah. on like, Hunger Games and you know because I just want to hear what it sounds like yeah yeah and um you know tv shows they actually do have a tv show on Netflix that's supposed to be really good it's like yes yep yeah and uh, I mean I would love to listen to Sailor Moon in like Japanese Mm -hmm. (laughs) um however they have it in English that doesn't help me. <laughs> and I mean, I, I grew up in the 80s and 90s. And so I was born in 77. So for me, I was used to like Transformers and yep. We're the same age. We're the same age. I was born in 78. Oh, okay. Cool. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, and it's funny because all these millennials that I've met, like a lot of them are like really cool. But then some of them, you know, I've talked to they've mm-hmm. said that language learning has changed their life because you know they were like in a depressive state of mind and 
yeah. some people were suicidal and you know. it opens up so much I mean confidence I said it in my my online thing confidence life confidence comes from language confidence right. you know if you you as soon as you can start another language uh, you can speak another language it's it just opens up your mind it opens up your experiences it opens up the reactions that you get from people because I think there's still a lot of people out there who only speak English and as soon as you say that you speak another language and especially one that's perceived to be as difficult as Japanese people just go wow oh yeah or you'll get are you fluent and I said, well, there's different degrees of fluency. Exactly. That's such a hard question to answer, right? Right. And I said, okay, um, I, I had interviewed um, Richard Simcup Monday. Right. And, and I asked him, I said, well, what do you, what do you define as conversationally fluent if you're talking about the CERFL scale? And and because I'm thinking in my head, I would rather be like a B1 in all my languages because at mm-hmm. least that point I wouldn't forget anything. Yeah. It would stick in my head. Um, I mean, A2 is great, but you want to talk about more than just family stuff and mm-hmm. the weather and mm-hmm. what I ate last night for dinner. You, know, yeah. you, you kind of want to have a more in-depth conversation. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, because I like to talk about a lot of different things, but at the same time, it's like when you want to find books to read or especially like ebooks to read, it's very difficult to find stuff that interests you. Yeah. Oh, it's so, it's so key. You have to go with what interests you. Like so many people I speak to and they're like, oh, I'm trying this, I'm trying that. And I say, why are you trying that? And like, oh, someone recommended it. But do you actually enjoy that? Not really. Like, why are you doing that to yourself? Right. It's making it harder, you know. I, I always say I don't like textbooks. Textbooks just, oh, if I, you know, when I was first learning, somebody gave me a textbook. I was just like so demotivated straight away. Because for me, that's not communicating with a human. No. I just, I just want to start speaking. And there was one person I met when I was in Japan who I always think of the way that he did it. It was amazing. We went, there was four of us, we went to South Korea for New Year. I think it was 2003, 2002 to 2003, the New Year's holiday. Mm-hmm. None of us knew any Korean language. By the end of that week in South Korea, he was having conversations with people. I was like, how are you doing this? And all he did was he would walk up to people and he would just say, you know, he maybe heard somebody say a word and he would repeat that word and, and point at what the, he thought the thing was. You know, it's just people in the markets or something, you know, there might mm-hmm. be some fruit and he'd point at the fruit and say what he thought he, you know, he'd been standing next to somebody who had bought that piece of fruit, for example. And he'd heard them say the word. So then he would say the word with a questioning tone. And then that person would repeat it back to him. And then he was like, oh. And then he put his fingers up, say, I want three of those. And they would repeat. They would say, oh, you want three? Right? So then he'd say, three, please. You know, he just copied. He just 
parroted back what he heard them say. And he picked up the language every single day. By the end of it, he was chatting. That's was like just awesome. I said, that's amazing, man. And, you know, he didn't have any paper. He didn't have any textbook. He didn't have a dictionary on him. He just literally spoke to people. You know, it's funny you say that because that's how I am. Like, I, I go to a particular Korean um, hair shop, hair salon shop to go yeah. get, like, my shampoo and stuff. And mm-hmm. stuff for my hair. Because I, I, I use, I went all natural. I, I decided to do a fro, like, six years ago. Because I was just tired of going to get my hair done. And it was costing right. way more than what it should have. Uh-huh. So I decided, okay, I'm going all natural. Okay, fine. So I went in there and I said, okay, where are you guys from? You know, what part mm-hmm. of Asia? And she was like, we're from Korea. And I was like, awesome. You know, because I like K-pop and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, yeah. oh, cool, blah, blah. You know, and I, I said then, I said to myself, the next time I go in there, I'm just going to see what I can say. Hello, how are you? Good morning. Yeah. Stuff like that. Bye. Nice to meet you. Little things like that to see yeah. what, what their reaction is going to be. They're going to love it. They are going to love it. I think, what is it? Come Samnida. Is that? Thank you. Well, hello. I can't remember that. Yeah. But come Samnida. Yeah, I was, when I was over there, I was desperately trying to say something. Yeah. And I, I mean, it's kind of funny because if you learn Korean, like, all you got to do is just turn Netflix on and. Mm-hmm. Watch, watch the Korean, the Korean shows, and I mean, because they got a crap ton. Yeah, and, like I watched this. I watched this Cantonese show. It's called Three People in a Bed. Okay. And, and I, it was like one season long, and like the episodes were like twenty to twenty-two minutes, twenty-three minutes tops. Mm-hmm. And I, it took me a day and a half, and I watched it with English subtitles, and it was about these three girls who had graduated college. One got married. One became a singer. One was like an heiress. And so she just basically went around spending her father's money. Her father right. was, her father was, had diabetes real bad and heart problems. And oh. I, I started to notice like patterns in yeah. the, the, as far as the culture was concerned, how the children, regardless of how much the, the parents did for them, they mm-hmm. they made the ultimate sacrifice, their happiness to help their family. And I mean, yeah. it just wasn't just this Cantonese show. I had saw it in a Thai show. And I'm like, this this whole thing of the whole of the taking care of the family and sacrificing for the I mean, she did everything. She went and sold like stuff that she had, tried to sell it on eBay, tried to sell it on the street. It was like buying more money from people was in debt. It was so hilarious. But oh. she, she wound up, you know, getting a job with this guy named Mr. Zoe and his first name was Chris and he kind of liked her. So he gave her a job and she was able to save her family's farm and, and help him get out of debt because he was about to lose everything. And, and so, um, yeah. And then the one girl, she had a fiance a boyfriend overseas in Australia and they had a long distance relationship and he wound up cheating on her for five months. Oh gosh. And, and then she was so upset by that, but she wound up forgiving him and then she had a chance to go to Thailand and, and sing and she chose him over her yeah. singing and to go to school in Australia and then be together and he wanted to marry her and all that. And then the middle one was had gotten hurt by her first boyfriend, left the boyfriend, married somebody else, and come to find out five years down the road, 
as she was married to that guy. That guy was dating somebody else, and she went to a jewelry store to get something fixed. And her and her friend found out that he was cheating on her because the guy had thought that she was the one that was getting the gift that he had bought some other chick that he was seeing on the side while he was married to her. God, you got the whole in depth <laughs> story. And, and, and this was like, I watched it in English one time, and then I just flipped off the subtitles and just start listening to the dialogue because voiceover oh. kind of overshadowed the the dialogue. And yeah. I started list. I started hearing things that I had already learned in the first A one part of Cantonese, and I was like, "Oh, I like this language." You know, I, it was you know it was so cool, and I just kept watching it over and over again. And I saved it in my favorites because I was like, "I like the show," and <laughs> and I I sat there and I said, "This is like so freaking cool," and you know, I just start speaking, and I just you know, everybody's like. Well, it's so hard, the tones and the, the intonation. And I was like, well, it's, it's falling and rising tones. It, it's, not, yeah. it's not as hard as what you think it is. It's all as about- long as you expose yourself to it. Right, right. And, and I, that was just like with Japanese, what little mm-hmm. Japanese I know, um, you know. But you know, with your background in Spanish, mm-hmm from what I've been told by friends that speak Spanish and Japanese, it's mm-hmm. the same sounds. Oh, well, yeah, because I was, I, I was good at the grammar with Spanish, which was ni- 18, 19 years ago. Mm. And, and I was able to understand everything that people were saying. I was able to correct them when they were speaking because, you know, evidently they didn't know the endings. You know, mm-hmm. they were so they were more on the vocabulary side. I was more, okay, you need to understand what the person is saying. Let's worry about the grammar. Then we'll click in the vocabulary. And I mean, I lived in California for three years, so I was pretty much bombarded with a lot of Spanish speakers from like Mexico and stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and every time I would try to speak, the first thing I get is English back to me or um uh, you know, or you need to practice more. Well, how are you supposed to practice in the yeah, air before speak to me in English? <laughs> right. So I I I wound up doing that and I mean now I my first language outside of English was American Sign Language, believe it or not. When oh, I was cool. a kid. And then I became fluent in that and then I forgot it because once you you know, time goes on, you don't use it, you lose it. Mm-hmm. And then my first foreign language was Spanish. And then I, as an independent language learner, four years ago, I started with Russian. So now I can speak Russian, A2 French, B1 Dutch, B1 Italian, not B1, A1 Dutch and Italian, um, basic Portuguese, Brazilian Portuguese. Um, I'm learning Turkish, Thai, and Cantonese at the moment. That's and, amazing. And I plan on learning Japanese, Hindi, Swahili because it's a heritage language and I found out I'm like 50% um, uh, West African. Oh, cool. So, and Swahili was the language, so I said, why not? And then Egyptian Arabic. Amazing. At some point. But, you know. Just amazing. That, I've, that, I've got up my game, really, haven't I? <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. I guess I look at the people that live in my town. Because when you live in the U.S., not a lot of people have passports. I know I'm one of them. And so it's not like I can go to a Langfest 
or it's not like I can go to a polylock conference or a polylock gathering. And I've been trying to push them for the longest to stream their conferences because mm-hmm. they would get more people to participate yeah. by listening to what's going on. And I've gotten like, well, we'll think about it. Uh. Yeah, which I think that would be so motivating for people to yeah. hear what these people have to say. I mean, yes, you talk about that you want to help people learn languages, but languages can't be taught. They only can be learned. And I mean, okay, you can't force someone once you take them to a stream to drink water to drink it. They they can't. They have to want to drink it. And yeah. and they have to have a connection with that language. And because I like people and movies and fashion and food and travel and all that, of course mm-hmm. I'm going to want to learn the language. I'm, I'm surrounded by these people constantly. I don't want to speak English all day. You know, and I guess for me, that's that's my main thing. I'm like Luca Lampriello. I like learning for the sake of learning. Yeah, yeah. You know, right. And um, yeah, so it's it's one of those things where I enjoy, uh, you know, talking about this subject matter with people because everyone has their own take on how they started or, and I've only been around in the language learning community for four years. And I was so happy to see people embrace people in their differences and, you know, Absolutely. We need, yeah. I mean, with what's going on in the world at the moment. Oh, oh God. Yeah. Especially Brexit. Oh, God, I feel sorry for you. Oh, oh Jesus. Such a mess. I mean, yeah, my partner's French, so, you know, can't get much closer to home than that, really. Well, you know, and it's sad because it's like, okay, I understand the older generation wanted to separate, but oh. I don't think they really explained to people clearly enough what stakes really work. Uh, there, wasn't, there wasn't an explanation of what this was actually going to mean. Right. And I mean, there's people like Ollie Richards that said, I voted to remain. <laughs> you know, I mean, because once this take place, I mean, they, they even denied her her plan in Parliament recently. So they're not going to support it. And she claims she's going to leave before her term is up. And I said, so you're going to leave the entire country in shambles because you can't figure out how to get this fixed. Wow, that's just a sad. Well, there, there's, no really, there's no win for her, really, because, I mean, half the country did vote for it, but it's, they didn't know what they were signing up for. No, <laughs> unfortunately. And I... I I remember Jan van der Ar had posted something on Facebook recently. It was a while back about what does languages mean to you? And my response was languages are the communication bridge that connects us all as a global community worldwide. Uh-huh. And that it, it, it unites us. It doesn't divide us. And the more languages we learn, the more worlds and portals we can enter into you know, other people and how they think and how they feel and, and and how they see the world. Because at the end of the day, we live on Mother Earth and we live in this global community and we have to be able to communicate with each other in a peaceful way with no violence, no hatred, no animosity, no discrimination of any kind, you know. So, 
And he was like, I love this answer. And I was like, well, thanks. You know, I, I've always felt that way. You know, we're all connected. We all yeah. have to live together and work together yeah. to make this planet better for the next generation, you know, and promote language learning. Because at the end of the day, you know, a lot, there might be 7,000 languages, but about three thirds of them are about to go into extinction if uh-huh. people don't start caring. And that's, that's culture as well that goes with it. Cause language and culture are just so intertwined. Oh yes, it is. And I, I'm, I'm one of those people where we, I come from a variety of different people in our families. We got Chinese and Puerto Rican, Mexican, I found out I was a quarter Irish as well. Um, you know, we have some DNA test things. Yeah. And then I have some Blackfoot Indian and some Cherokee as well. So, yeah. you know, it's that was just like when I was watching um, Eva, Dr. Eva, um, talk recently, and I will be interviewing her in a couple weeks. And, you know, she was talking about, you know, preserving the nest and and I you know I had never heard of this concept before of you know going and documenting you know all these languages that are going into extinction and that you have to ask permission in order to be able to learn it because you know culturally they want to preserve it with their people and they don't know how outsiders will take it and I mean I learned so much from that I didn't even I was like I gotta interview her because that fascinated me you know, yeah, a lot and I mean I enjoyed the conference I mean I I do have to say I was kind of a little nervous when I gave my, my talk at like 8 o'clock in the morning oh I've still got to catch up on that there's yeah. so many talks I just oh yeah and it, it was it was a great a great experience you know I met so many cool people and I said wow this is like awesome it was like a sisterhood of yeah. women you know and I mean, I, we actually do need that, I think, in the language learning, because we're so saturated with testosterone. Mm. There's not enough estrogen to balance it out, I would say. And I would love to see more online conferences, because a lot of people can't travel. Yeah, yeah. And that, that would, be, that would so- be... It would be cool. Really cool. Okay, if you had... This is my last question, last two questions. If you have seven tips to give people who are just starting out in Japanese, what would that be? Seven tips. Okay. So I would say first figure out why you want to learn Japanese because that's what's going to bring you back when you lose the motivation. You have to circle back to that why. Why do you want to learn? Second tip, figure out what you want to do with that. So if it's all about you want to be able to read manga, then you know that your focus is on learning to read and write. You know that you want to speak to Japanese people, then you know that your focus should be more on listening and speaking. Then I would say, so then you're identifying your favorite things in your native language and just find those things in Japanese. So if like me, you love drama, then find a way to do 
some kind of theatrical things in Japanese. Like I started um, a Japanese drama group here in Edinburgh. Oh, awesome. We're not, we're not doing it at the moment um, because it was quite, you know, it's quite time consuming to put plays on and things. So we did right. one play um, and we were working on a second one. Um, but we're having a little break at the moment. That's awesome. I studied theater in college and that's my yeah. undergraduate is theater. So, so much fun. Love it. Um, so how many is that? Is that three tips, four tips? Yes, four. Um, and then I would say number five, hmm, find people with the same desire. Find yourself a community. Because that community is going to be the one you learn from, the ones that you speak to often. Um, it's great to have access to other learners because they know what it feels like to be a learner of that language. But of course, you also want access to other native speakers right. of that language. Um, I would say find um, other events so events around the culture of that language. Um, so here in Scotland, I follow the consulate, which is like the embassy. We have an embassy in London. So mm. therefore, because it's the second office, we have a consulate in Edinburgh because it's um, the second office. Mm. Um, so I am on their mailing list and I make sure to get their event schedule. So every time they have an event about Japanese culture, or language sometimes they have those as well I will go to that event and I will talk to other people at that event and I will find other Japanese speakers at that event um, then I would say you know find a teacher online because that teacher could be anywhere in the world and if you haven't been able to find a good time to go to a teacher in your local community or a good place to go even an online teacher there are so many online teachers and they are all at different time zones so you're definitely going to be able to find one that suits you and they're all different price ranges as well um one more tip is one more tip right yeah the last one then i would say start your own community just like i did you know, I thought about doing that, but the problem is I have so many languages that I like, and then I'm my head's in right now. <laughs> I, so I you choose. Yeah, so like they have a French meetup group, they have Spanish, they have Chinese. Um, you know, I mean, it would be cool to have a Russian meetup group. I mean, because there's people that are from Ukraine here, and Russia, and yeah. I mean, and I'm an extrovert, so I'm one of those people where if I'm, if we were to meet in real life and uh -huh. I'm like, Jessica, blah, 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 <laughs> you know, I would just come up and just start speaking. I, I don't have any fear about speaking to no one. <laughs> uh -huh. You know, some people are there like, I can't do that. I'm like, I can. <laughs> yeah, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of people. It's funny, actually, there's a lot of introverts who learn to speak Japanese um, because Japanese language and culture and I think encourages you know a lot of people that like manga and anime and um, 
computer games that are in Japanese and things like that, I think a large portion of those people like uh, tend to be more introverted because there's a massive number of people in my community who are actually introverts. Um, so I think that's why they come to me because they've, you know, they've got to a certain level of reading and speaking in Japanese. Mm-hmm. They haven't actually, they're frustrated because, you know, maybe they've gone to Japan and they couldn't speak to anyone and they're wondering why I've been studying all these years. I can do like, you know, N4 level on the Japanese language proficiency test or even N3 level, but why can't I speak? It was weird. I, I was stood in front of the person and nothing came out of my mouth. You know, it comes from frustration, I think. Um, so these really yeah. amazing readers and writers of Japanese who are introverted are coming to me to say, you know, how, how do I get, how do I do the conversation? You know, I can definitely relate to that um, because I like to speak right away. I mean, that's how I learn like all my vocab mm-hmm. is I have to listen to it, repeat it, and then go up, throw a video up, do something, you know, put it out there. And people are like, you, you're, you're, you're not bad. Keep going, you know. <laughs> um, I mean, and evidently, like right now, I'm sitting here talking to you and I'm thinking about Tokidoki. and it's so weird because I'm thinking about all these little words that I know in Japanese and I Mm -hmm. haven't touched it in months so I mean a lot of it a lot of it probably is because right now I really want to get my Cantonese and Thai down by the end of the year to a nice Mm -hmm. level in speaking like B1 each and so and people are like how do you not mix that up I'm like because they have different sounds Mm. They're, they're different they sound different, you know, and, you know, for me personally, it's like, I, the only thing I knew in Japanese was Ohio, Konnichiwa, Sayonara, and that was it. Now I know, like, some words, yes and no, you know, um, but aside from that, like, I know a little bit more than I did before. Yeah. You know, just with a little bit of exposure. But I said, if I could watch like Star Trek and like Japanese, that mm-hmm. would be freaking awesome. You know, <laughs> I mean, because I, I guess I look at it like this. Okay. Can I watch Voltron and Thundercats and this cartoon in Japanese? You know, I would literally just, that's all I would be doing all day. You know? Um, yeah. I mean, because that's just, I'm a big kid like that. <laughs> you know, I was never a science or a math person. I was more English history, philosophy, theater, music. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, I had a question. Okay. Yeah. With, with the whole Harry Potter, Hunger Games, Game of Thrones, I mean, are people actually reading that in Japanese? Or are they just reading, like, normal novels or readers or... People are reading that in Japanese. They are. Yeah. Because I thought about that. Like, I was like, I wouldn't mind finding the Hunger Games because it's only three books. You know, in Japanese. You know. Yeah. Uh, or, because... Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know how easy the Hunger Games would be because, of course, it's, it's, it's for teenagers, isn't it? Written in English for teenagers. 
Um, I know that for the Harry Potter books, because the, the first Harry Potter book is, you know, it's he's a young boy and it's written for people of that age. I think each book right. is written at the age that Harry is right. at right. in the book. So if you want one that's more kind of step-by-step, step, gets more and more difficult, I think the Harry Potter series starts at a lower level of English, lower level of Japanese than, say, the Hunger Games one. But I haven't read those myself. Like I said, I'm, I focus on speaking and listening. Right. Right. Um, I mean, I, I, I know with Harry Potter, if I wanted to do Japanese audio, I would be paying tons of money. Because the audio is expensive. Like, I can get the Japanese ebook uh, and have it read to me with voiceover in Japanese. I can do that. Um, what about Audible? I don't know. I've not got Audible myself. Does, uh, does it have a Japanese version? No. They have Italian, German, Spanish, and French. Oh. They don't have... And that's, you know, I, I enjoy Audible. Like, mm-hmm. I read all the Game of Thrones in French. I oh, listened wow. to them. And it was, well, French was easy because I knew Spanish, but also, it, you know, English is involved. And I mean, mm-hmm. I watch the news in French, and that's basically what I do and, right. uh, every day. And so, you know, I'll listen to the news in French, Russian, Italian, um, you know, give my ear. I, I do listen to stuff in Cantonese and Thai and Turkish at the moment, like SBS radio. Mm-hmm. And, and NHK World is another good one. The only, di- the only reason I stopped subscribing to them is because, yes, it's a 12-hour difference from when you get the, get the, the first podcast episode at noon, then you get the other one at 9 o'clock at night. I mean, mm-hmm. but if you don't listen to both of them, and keep up with it, it piles up. Yeah. <laughs> so that's why I don't. But otherwise, you know, I love Japanese. I mean, I love Japanese food and my God. <laughs> but, um, so much goodness. Um, arigato. Doitashimaste. Uh, for coming uh, <laughs> on the show. Thank I you really so much. I appreciate it. Yeah, we probably to you. we probably did about almost seventy five minutes, which isn't bad. So. Yeah, good. So yes, I'm I'm hoping that maybe in July I want to bring on a bunch of people to talk about, um, you know, depression and anxiety and language learning and you know yeah. why people feel guilty for. Mm-hmm you know, messing up the language or, you know, breaking the language somehow so they can, they can, you know, figure it out for themselves, so forth and so on. Because I I heard that a lot during the conference and I just said, look, this conversation needs to continue. I I would love to get around a a discussion of about seven people just Mm -hmm. so we could talk about this one topic because I see that a lot. Like people... They, they put so much pressure to be perfect. Yeah. And there's no need. No. Yeah. So, but thank you very much for taking the time to speak with me no and my listeners. And I will see you around. Perfect. 
Um, if you have any questions, just uh, just send me a message or um, contact me at Nihongo Connection. I will. Sayonara. Sayonara. Matane.